Hey everybody, thanks for listening, thanks for coming back. I just want to start off first by thanking everybody for downloading over the last two weeks. It's been amazing just to see the number of people who have uh, come and supported and, and been willing to listen. If you like what you're hearing, please remember, share with the people around you. Um, you know, we get more people, get the word out. It's uh, never a bad thing. This week, we are going to bring you something a little different. It's a woman named Mary Kohlsdorf. Um, we're at Prairie Ridge Church in Ankeny again. And uh, she has a great story just about how she grew deeper in her faith and her walk um, on a mission trip and how she was involved with the church. She was doing things and uh, the people around her really showed her what it was to uh, be like Jesus. So with that, let's take a listen and I uh, hope you enjoy. Kohlsdorf. Thanks for being with us today, and uh, I want to thank Prairie Ridge for opening their doors for us again and letting us record here. Um, how are you? Yeah, doing good. Good. It's a week after Thanksgiving, so feeling full and you can't, um, been lazing around all weekend. <laughs> that's, that's never a bad thing. No. So how no. Was, do you have a bunch of people over? We um, actually went over to some friends' house during the day and then just had a few family people over in the evening, so... Okay. Pretty small gatherings, That's but nice, it's good, then. yeah. So we, we split it up into a handful of little family ones, and so it makes it a little easier, a little, little more intimate. You spend better time with people yeah. instead of the 25 people in your house tearing everything apart. Yeah, so. I agree. But, uh, well, I, I was talking to a handful of people, and they told me that uh, you were a lady that I needed to talk to. They told oh. me that uh, you have some amazing stories about God and how he's kind of worked in your life and, and how you've seen things. Um, before we get started, though, uh, would you just let our listeners know a little bit about you, where you come from, you know, whatever yeah. whatever you think they, they need to know? Yeah, sure. Um, so living in Iowa now, but I actually was born in Tennessee and grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, so my um, grandfather went to Iowa State and he was a veterinarian and so he decided that he wanted to be a horse veterinarian so of course um, Kentucky is the place to be for that kind of thing. My dad was raised in Kentucky, my mom was raised in Iowa and when my dad went to college he went to University of Kentucky and then got his master's degree at Iowa State and then met my mom there and then they moved back south but when I was looking for colleges then um, when I was 18 Iowa State was just kind of on the list, you know, even though I grew up in Kentucky. And so that's how I ended up back in Iowa um, after, you know, several generations of our family lived here. It was so, so it's kind great. of a roundabout. You came to college here, so great you couldn't leave. That's right. I loved Iowa. No, actually, I <laughs> didn't like Iowa. And as soon as I, I mean, I went, as soon as I graduated, I was like, I can't wait to get out of the state, um, which is really weird. And so I did. I went back to Kentucky, and then I had met someone my senior year, um, Doug, at, who's my husband now. And so we met like right at the end before I got, um, before I graduated. And so I moved back to Kentucky, and he said, Well, I'm going to quit my job and move down there. And he had a really good job. And so I said, How about since I'm just graduating and looking for a job, I'll just move back to Iowa. And so I did, and then we got married six months later See. and ended up staying here. So. <laughs> but, yeah, and so then we have two children that are both adults now. So our daughter is Erin, and she's 23, and I believe she went to Honduras with you. She did. Yep. So, yep. Um, so I remember meeting you back then. And then um, 
our son is 27. And so Erin graduated from UNI, and she works for Ireley Ball now, which is really interesting work. Um, it's a government-funded program that she works with, and they are trying to help folks who have really severe mental health issues off the streets. Huh. And so she literally delivers their meds to them every single day to make sure that they take them, um, make sure that they're paying their rent, that they have groceries. And so really it's just day-to-day care of people who really can't function because of their mental health issues. So wow. I'm really proud of her for doing that kind of work. It's that's, hard. That's got to be <clears throat> fulfilling too. You know, my, yeah. my brother, for years, he worked with uh, mentally challenged adults in, in their home health care. Okay. He managed, you know, he worked, he worked in the homes for a while and then eventually uh, got to the place where he was managing five or six of them and the employees that were in there. And yeah, I always thought that man, the amount of time and energy that he poured into that was amazing I you know yeah I I work a lot and and I get a lot of fulfillment from what I do but I don't think it compares to what he was doing I mean the pay wasn't great and uh, right you know but he still showed up every day and and it was funny because he would call me up and invite me to go to lunch or something and he'd be like oh I have some clients with me and I would show up and these guys they would just light up you know what I mean and, yeah and for yeah. me I've never I've never really been around that many mentally challenged people in my in my time and so now I'm I'm surrounded by them you know not all the time but pretty regularly and man these guys I grew to love them I mean and the thing I think was always funny was for for my whole life my younger brother has always been Phil's little brother everywhere we go oh that's Phil's yeah. little brother well, I would show up now, and that's Mike's brother, you know. And, <laughs> that's right, the tables have turned. Yeah, the tables have turned, mm-hmm. and so it, it was neat, and seeing his growth and development and how much care he takes for people was, was neat to see, too. So. Yeah, that is cool. Um, yeah, so Aaron's doing that, and then our son, Andrew, lives out in the state of Washington, um, got married about a year and a half ago, and he is a captain in the military, okay. uh, in the Army, so... Um, he's stationed out there for a couple of years, and then he's been at Fort Benning in Georgia and Fort Campbell in Kentucky. So he's kind of, you know, done some traveling and will continue to do so if he stays in the military, but was in Afghanistan for seven months. And so, yeah, really proud of both of my kids and yeah. the decisions that they've made. And really the, the biggest thing for me as a parent is that they both are following God, yeah. and that's huge you for know. me. For for me having the little ones, you know, I hope that I hope that in you know fifteen years I can sit back and, and say the same thing. Yeah, that's so. of all the things, all the you know, all of their accomplishments. That's my number one goal would be that they would know um, have a relationship with Christ, and they do. So yeah. that's great. So so with your relationship with Christ, did it start young? No. Mm-hmm. Well, so I grew up in church. Yeah. Um, we our family living in Kentucky we went to this huge. Presbyterian Church in downtown Lexington, and um, I don't remember ever hearing the gospel message or hearing about a personal relationship with Jesus, so, and I'm not saying that I didn't hear it, but I didn't have ears to hear it, so maybe I did hear the message, but it just went over my head, and I wasn't ready for it, but loved church, um, did the youth group, did everything, but... I had a separation like I thought God was in the church and in the things that I did there but then when I left the church I didn't think that God cared about that and so I really lived a dual life Um, and so I was very 
discontented. And so when I graduated from college and got married and started having children, I just um, changed jobs a lot. We moved a lot because I was just looking. I felt empty on the inside and I was looking for something to fill it and nothing did. Um, And so I was really confused about that. Uh, Even though we were still going to church as adults, I just didn't have that personal relationship. So um, Doug and I, when we first got married, we lived in Iowa, and then I did make him move to Kentucky for five years. And so his family was down there, and my family was there, and so we decided to move down there too. So we were there five years. And while we were there, we did youth ministry at the Presbyterian Church that I had grown up in and really found that Doug loved that. I mean, it was like his calling, and so we did that for years, just volunteer youth leaders. And so about the time our son was getting ready to start first grade, we decided that we wanted to move back to Iowa because we would prefer that he would be in the school system in a smaller town. Kentucky was like 48th in the nation in education. And so um, we just weren't real happy in Kentucky, so we decided to move back. And when we moved back, the Presbyterian Church in Ankeny was looking for a part-time youth director. And so we applied for that position, and they hired Doug and I together as a couple um, part-time. So um, Doug had a full-time job, and then we did this on the side. And so really youth ministry kind of became my thing, Um, but I didn't really feel like it was my calling, so I was scared to death. Um, And when Doug wasn't there... Um, I just had great fear and trepidation, and I would just really plan things out so that when we had youth groups, I would know exactly what the plan was, and um, I just, it it wasn't my thing. I loved youth, but I just didn't feel like I had the skill set that Doug did to relate to youth and minister to youth, and so, um, yeah, it was a a year of just... um, really wondering like what was going on and why we were here and and what god was going to do um and i say that in hindsight because in the midst of it i did not sense that god was a part of it yeah well that's funny you know because i worked in college ministry for a while and uh, i used to plan everything out because i always felt a little inadequate you know i not the best public speaker in the world you know i got a lot of theological stuff that I don't know and so I I just kind of stepped up and wanted to do it so I would plan everything out to the prayers yeah I would would write you know I mean how how great is that you know I have to (laughs) say a prayer here prayer is this you know I I would write it out because I would get so nervous Nervous. that I would either forget it or I would get up and put my foot in my mouth about something and and really I think it was all at least for me it was all kind of in my head that you know, because I could have gone up there and done just fine, and no one would have ever said a word. Right, but, exactly. Uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of get that, you know, and, and so. Yeah, so it was really scary, and then, um, and Doug was just a natural. He could just, I could, and I could, I could plan things out, and then he would just come in and um, take it in a different place. And so then I was kind of like, Hey, wait a minute, why did I plan all this? <laughs> That's right. But he was, he was great at relating to the kids, and and I was basically biblically illiterate. So I just, when I look back, I think, how did this church even hire us? I mean, we were completely clueless in in every realm. So we had been on staff about seven months, and we asked the youth if they wanted to go on a mission trip. Because when I grew up in Kentucky and was in youth ministry, or in the youth group, 
we did a mission trip to Iowa, which is kind of funny. Um, and I just remember loving that experience. And so Doug and I had decided that one of the things that we wanted to do um, was take kids on mission trips. And so we said, hey, where do you all want to go? And they said they wanted to go to New York City. <laughs> we were like, okay. And so the Presbyterian Church published this mission yearbook and it had all the places in the country that you could go, um, and places that would host youth groups to come and serve in their communities. And so yeah. we found this little church in Manhattan, Trinity Presbyterian Church, and they hosted youth groups. And so I contacted the pastor, and we ended up scheduling a week to go out to New York with our youth group. And so this gal that taught in the Ankeny school system, she was... So Doug and I, I think, were 31, and she was probably 23 and she went as a chaperone, and we had seven youth. So there were 10 of us. And so on the way out to New York, there were several things that happened. One, we passed a car on the side of the road that was on fire. And so this other adult that went with us, Sarah, she said, oh, let's pray. And so she led this beautiful prayer about just safety for these people on the side of the road and that you know everything would be worked out and they could get where they needed to go. And I was like... I'd never just prayed for a situation before. Yeah. And I was like, cool. And so anyway, she was obviously a follower of Christ, had this beautiful personal relationship with Jesus, and all week long I saw that. Just that maturity even from somebody who was younger. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? And so I just watched her, and I fell in love with her, but I think really I fell in love with Jesus. But she represented him. Yeah. And I didn't know what was happening, but so all week um, she would be just um, honoring God and everything that she said and she did. And so we get to this little church in Manhattan and it's uh, a crazy place. So we just left suburban Ankeny in a church that has resources out the wazoo, but is pretty inwardly focused. And then we go to this little church in Manhattan that literally has nothing and they're completely outwardly focused. And so I had a crisis of faith. Like, what are we doing in the suburb of Ankeny? Um, you know, when we have all these resources and there's all this need, yet we're not really paying attention to the need. And so all week long, I saw this little church serving its community. The pastor, Bob, um, was part-time. The church served very poor people, and so they did not give enough to the church to support Bob. So he had a job on the side. He was an instructor at John Jay University, which was right around the corner from the church. And so he basically supported himself um, and then served this church. And so he gave to everybody. He had hired a building superintendent. It was a guy that had come out of the prison system, um, George, and he had been a drug addict. And Bob hired him and paid him out of his own pocket to be the janitor in the building. And while George had been in prison, Um, his wife had a baby and Bob basically raised the baby from zero to five because the mother was also a drug addict. Um, He would let homeless people come in off the street and sleep in the church overnight. But then he had a pretty high bar. If they were um, drunk or doing drugs, he wouldn't let them come in. He would say, clean up and come back tomorrow night if you want to stay here. Um, So I'm just, you know, an outsider just watching all week. I'm watching this adult that we brought with us, Sarah, And then I'm watching Pastor Bob live out his faith. And I am just taking it all in and wondering, where have I been? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's so interesting. I mean, when I see... I've I've met a handful of people in my life who... the, The idea of Bob where, you know, I'm working so hard, but yet 
don't have much to show for it, and I give it all away to the people yeah. that are around me. And I wish that would describe me. You know what I mean? I know. It's what yeah. I need to do. It's what I, you know, and I, I can't give you a good reason why that doesn't describe me. Right. But those people that I have seen who conduct themselves like that, it's it's amazing to me. And I'm just, you know, like when we, the idea that we are supposed to be Jesus to the world, that's what we're supposed to do. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. The, you know, I complain about, oh, work in this and life's hard. That guy's working a full-time job, giving sermons, opening the doors up for the homeless, raising a young kid. Yeah. Living this life and it's not focused on him. It's so, it's so countercultural to, to what we're supposed to do in the eyes of the world. You know what I mean? It is. Yeah. Yep. And the funny thing is, is, um, so we've been in relationship with this church now since 1995 and now the Ridge is taking groups out to this church Um, and it's different now because Pastor Bob is not there Um, he died in 2011 and so it's kind of like his legacy kind of lives on but I'll I'll kind of get up to the future but to go back to that first year that we were there um, Bob broke er every stereotype of a pastor that I ever knew either because like the first night that we got there, he kind of gave us a tour of the neighborhood that we were staying in, and he stopped at a bar, and he got, like, a, a scotch, and then he bought ice cream for all the us and the kids. And I was like, and then he lights up a cigarette, and I'm like, what? Where's my scotch? I know, yeah, but it was so weird, because I'm like, I didn't know that a man of God could do that kind of thing. Like, I don't, I don't know. So, so then he smoked. He was like a chain smoker. It was ridiculous. And on his office door, he had this little sign that said, better to smoke here than in the hereafter. <laughs> so, I mean, the guy was just, he was brilliant. He yeah. went to um, Union Theological Seminary in New York City, and he graduated from Yale. Um, I mean, he was a brilliant, brilliant man, yet he could relate to the common man. Yeah. He was... You know, and that's, I've been fortunate that in my life, you know, in, in serving, you know, we, we've done a lot of work with the homeless, you know, and my family has, and I haven't always lived in the suburbs. I haven't always had the financial means to do the things I want. I can go out and sit with people who are fairly destitute and be comfortable, but yet then I've taken groups out and next thing you know, you know, they're, they're horribly uncomfortable. And, yeah. You know, I think, you, you know, we, we did, your, your daughter came with us to Honduras and that's right. somewhere that, you know, me and my wife started years before we had kids, we would lead trips to Honduras and to an orphanage there and, and spend time working. And it was really neat because when we started, you know, we, we just tagged along on a group. And next thing I know, you know, when they find out there's actually somebody who has skilled trades work, they're like, we're building a building and <laughs> we need somebody to come down here and do the plumbing. We need somebody to come down here and, and you know, do this section of it. Yeah. And so, you know, it was kind of neat because there was times where, you know, it's a mission trip, but really it's me and my wife and one or two other people, you know, and, right. other, and then other times we would take groups of 20, um, you know, down there with us and, and have a, a very different experience but at the same time you know we're we're serving you know rural mountain villages you know and these yeah this town is very poor you know i mean to where you know you would go into their homes and uh they're sleeping on hay on a dirt floor inside a mud hut you know they just weave sticks together and pack it with mud to keep the wind and rain out and that's something that 
in Ankeny, you know, or in, in most of the U.S., I've never been to a place here that that looks like that. Right. Um, and so I always thought it was kind of neat to, uh, and it was uh, maybe a little malicious, but I would take some of the more affluent people. And when, you know, even in a, even in a poor place, there's a bad part of town, you know? And so yeah, when we true. would get to those places, you know, I would say, Hey, I think it's your turn to go in here and, you know, and that you would bring in, you know, we would always try to feed them. And so we would bring in, uh, you know, a week's worth of food, something like that. And it's, not what we would consider a week's worth of food, you right. know, but uh, you go in there and these people, most of the time they don't know where their next meal is coming from and they would just love on these people who came in and then, you know, you don't want to march 10 people into their little hut. So, you know, there's only one or two people inside this little, little home and uh, they would love on them and they would just kind of take the whole surrounding in, you know, these people, they don't have anything, but yet look at what they're doing and right. i think that that's something that really made an impact on a lot of people who had came back and forth with us yeah um, it does it makes you really um do some soul searching and look at how you're living yeah and we talk about you know tithing but sometimes i wonder if the 90 percent how we steward that isn't just as important i mean i know it is but often we just think well i gave my 10 percent so what yeah. i do with the 90 percent is my business yeah but really it's not it's all god's yeah, and we're know. to be stewards of it. And that's, you know, I know that with some of the different outreach organizations, you know, they there's always a need, you know. I mean, winter, winter's coming, you know. I know you said you didn't originally like Iowa. We're going to have a foot of snow soon. And <laughs> in, yep. ju- in July, it's going to be uh, 120 degrees. So you get, you know, yeah. every every amount of weather you could want. But with, yeah. the, with the winter coming, you know, it's going to be cold. It's going to be snowy, you know. And there's such a need right now for sleeping bags and heaters and and all of the things that that get these you know people who have unsecured housing through the winter time yeah that's and true. uh you know but yeah it's so easy to say oh well uh, you know things are a little tight i got an extra christmas present to buy or you know right that 90 percent is important that that we do find the good places for it and then mm-hmm. one of the things that i always dealt with people when they came back from honduras when they seen these people with so little they would always they would sometimes almost be regretful for what they had. You know, yes. well, why do I have so much? Well, just because you want to do, you were blessed. You know what I mean? And maybe you were just in the right place at the right time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who knows why or how? That doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a good lifestyle. You know what right. I mean? But yeah. make sure you make that conscious decision. You know, what do you want to do with your money? You know, mm-hmm. is it something where every year you're going to commit to go work on a project on a missions trip? You know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's yep. tons of places to go. Uh, you know, yeah, there's I, need everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, locally, in the U.S., you know, I know that uh, Prairie Ridge has done a lot of work with the Navajo Reservation. Yeah. I know the youth go to Tennessee. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, there's, California. you don't yeah. have to travel and spend 2000 bucks on airfare to get to Africa. You right. Know, there's a lot you can do right wherever yeah. you're at. Yeah. In our so, own backyard even. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but, but yeah, so you're, you made it to New York. Yep. Bob's smoking and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to, he didn't yeah. drink to, at all. It just that one night. Yeah. But, but, but smoking, that was just kind of like, huh, interesting. But the the common man related to Bob. I mean, he wasn't this person that was um, above what you could become. So Bob Bob walked amongst the people that he served, and he became 
he made them feel comfortable around him. Even though he was brilliant and had these degrees, and um, he really was just like them. Um, but no one ever knew. Right, he just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he didn't talk about his degrees. But so we were in New York in July, and it was hotter than Hades, of course. And so the kids that went on the trip decided that um, the church we were staying in was not air conditioned, and they decided that they could not endure the week um, living in the church. Get some and soft so, kids. Yeah. Well, and their parents, one of the parents had kind of set it up before we left that if you needed to stay in a motel, go ahead and do it, and we'll reimburse you when you get back. So the parents planted that seed because I think if the parents hadn't said that, the kids never would have even thought about it. Yeah. But they knew that they could. And right next to the church is a Holiday Inn. And so they told us um, that they needed to stay in a motel. So they came to, to my husband and me and Sarah, the other adult. And so Sarah said, well, let's do this. Let's let the kids decide. But So we'll put them in a room and we'll say, what do you think Jesus would do if he was here? And we shut the door and I was like, oh, my gosh, no way. They're going to go to a motel now. What a great, what a brilliant idea to pose that question. Yeah. Because Jesus would absolutely stay in the church. So they came out like five minutes later and they said, we decided that we want to stay in the motel. And it's not a want, it's a need. And we were like, okay. Um, I was so I was seething inside. I was so angry. And I, I was expecting something from these kids that they were not able to give. So I was being very unfair because this is their first mission trip. It's the church's first mission trip. It's my first mission trip as an adult leader. And I just... I don't know. I wanted them to be more mature and, and be thinking like an adult, which they couldn't. Yeah. Um, so it was unfair, my expectations that I was putting on them. But I could not believe that they wanted to stay in a motel. And I, was, and I told Sarah, I go, I can't. I, I literally cannot go check into a hotel when Bob and the homeless people are staying in this church. And they will be here all summer and they don't have air conditioning. And so I don't know why we can't go five days without it yeah. um, and so Sarah said okay I will go to the motel and stay with the kids and you and Doug can stay in the church and we were like okay and so one of the youth uh, one of the boys said I'm staying in the church too and I was like oh but that he was the only one yeah, I got so one I know one I got one so Doug and I and Mark um, stayed in the church and the rest went to the motel so we went and checked him in and when I came back Pastor Bob was standing on the front stoop of the church and he said well, that's a really a big slap in our face that you came to serve us, yet you can't stay in our building. And I lost it. I just started sobbing. And I was like, I know, Bob, I'm so sorry. I don't know what else to do. And I, I totally agree with you that it's a slap in your face. But um, these, you would have to come and visit our town to understand what we're used to. And this is way out of their comfort zone. And so he said, you know what, Mary, it's okay. Um, you have to meet the kids where they are, and this is where they are. Um, it's okay. I'm not mad. And so I was like, Phew. so the kids came back over, and they saw that I was a wreck. And um, I just had a hard time really um, loving them in that moment. But yeah. I did. But So each day, the kids would come over from the hotel, and then we would work in the church and do what we needed to do. Um, the first night, after the first night, another girl came back over to the church because she realized that that's where she should be. But that was it. So there were two youth um, that ended up spending the week in the church. The rest stayed in the motel. Um, it was a good week. We did a lot of great things, and we were able to serve the church, and the church served the community, and we 
walked alongside them in that. But in my mind, I was thinking, I'm just not cut out for youth ministry. Been so, doing it about nine months, and I was like, when I get home, I'm quitting. So now, now personally, though, so everybody else, relatively everybody else, has decided they're going to go stay in a life of luxury, have some air conditioning, continental breakfast. You're going to stay in the church. Mm-hmm. Were you able to take that in? What did that, I mean, did it affect you personally, the fact that now... You know, I'm sleeping in the same place that, you know, Bob and the homeless guys and, and everybody else that's that's living in this community. I'm living like them because that's when we travel to Honduras. That's one of the things. I mean, there's a place with air conditioning. I'm not going to tell you where it's at. Right. There's a place with warm water. shower water. Right. Right. You know what? We're going to take we're going to live like these people live because right. I think that that makes that impact. And for me, at least. You know, sometimes now I'll sneak off and have a warm shower. But, you know, when I first went, you know, that's that's how I related some. I mean, as silly as it probably sounds, that's how I related to some of the struggle that these people live with. I mean, the fact that I even have a shower that I can use every day is probably great. But, right. you know, it's not I'm not going to take a 30 minute cold shower. You know, you get in and handle your business and get out. Right. And so, you know, and, and it allowed me to spend more time with them it allowed me to interact you know there's no television occasionally we would turn uh you know somebody would have a little radio but it left us left us time to bond as a group to sit and discuss god working in our lives and you know just just spend that quality time together did you find that is the same way there yeah so um what i didn't realize was happening was that I was watching and learning that week that this walk with Christ was 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because I had always made a disconnect. And so as I lived it out that week, and as I watched Pastor Bob and how he ministered, I realized that I had made a disconnect. And so God really started working in me. I mean, it was a very emotional, emotional week for me. It was probably the worst week and the best week of my life, because I was mad. I was mad at those kids. Yet, at the same time, God was working out a lot of stuff in me. Um, So when we got back to Ankeny, um, I mean, a lot of the kids later, after they had time to process it, regretted their decision. And so it was a time of great growth. We all, I mean, there was not one person that went on that trip that didn't do a lot of self-reflecting after the trip. And so as angry as I was in the midst of it, you know, as I looked, started to look back as time passed, I realized that was a life-changing point for every single person in that group, good or bad. And it, wherever they were at, there was something to meet them. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so when I got back to Ankeny, then I just had this hunger, hunger um, to know God more and to serve Him better. And so we started tons of outreach opportunities locally in youth ministry we just made that a part of it that was just what we started doing so you didn't quit no i didn't quit yeah i know that was my thought there that i was going to quit but then when i got back all these incredible people started coming into my life i mean a lot of people have a moment in time where they give their life to christ i feel like i had an eight month period that it really it took me that long to really kind of figure out what was happening just a little bit every day yeah, and then these people. So, so we, yeah, we got back. I decided, okay, I'm going to stick this out a little bit longer. Um, and then, so then we started doing the outreach. Um, we, wor- we worked with Hope Ministries and 
um, Churches United shelter, and we just did a lot of outreach. And then I met some women um, that invited me to an ecumenical Bible study, and um, I learned about What's Jesus. Ecumenical, ecumenical means that it's they don't care who comes. It could be a Catholic and a Presbyterian okay. and a evangel evangelical and a Pentecostal, and it's just a lady had a Bible study in her home, and she didn't care who came. It wasn't like the Presbyterian Bible study. Yeah. It was anybody who wanted to come. Yeah. So we call it ecumenical because it's open to anybody. There you go. Yeah. So I went to that and I started learning so much about the Bible. And then there was this class at the Methodist Church in town. It's called Disciple. And you read the Bible from beginning to end um, through a nine-month period. And so I went to that church. I don't go to that church. I'm on staff at another church. I have a two-year-old uh, daughter who's not in school and this group of women said, we'll find a babysitter so that you can take this class. And I'm like, what? Why would you do that? Yeah. But they did. So I was the only person in that class that had a child. And they, I didn't pay a dime for child care. So for two hours every week I went and I started reading the Bible and learning more. And someone watched my daughter. And I look back at that and I'm like, who does that? Yeah. You and know. And that's and that's one of the things that we found is it's it's hard to explain. You know, we when we were involved in different churches, you know, when we were earlier earlier in our relationship between me and my wife, you know, we we didn't really have that the idea of somebody's sick and you know the church is going to show up with a you know bunch Casserole. of casseroles <laughs> and some bread and you know yeah we never had that and we were kind of like. Yeah, what's going on? And then as we got more involved, that started happening for us. You know, we we lost my mother-in-law and different things mm -hmm. like that. And people just consistently showed up and loved on us. And I, I remember there was there was a couple that they said they were going to bring something by. And, you know, a few months has gone by. And, and I'm like, don't worry about it. You know? No, yeah. no we told you we were going to do this. We, we still want to be there for you. And... Wow. I didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, my whole life. And then I, I, we stepped back and we kind of realized the difference was we were allowing people to help us. We were we yeah. were living into that community where before, eh, people knew who we were. We were involved. We did things. But on that deeper, less personal level, we really didn't share that with people. And so, you know, I think that, I think that it comes a time in your walk where... You just start letting people in, and then they, yeah. they're able to help you. you know? Right. I think it's God's extravagant love. Yeah. You know, he loves us so much, and he sends people. Um, to, to live it out. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, I remember when I started getting into the Bible, and I was like, what? I had no idea. This is amazing. God's Word is amazing. And it was like I wanted the world to stop until I could get through the rest of the Bible. Yeah. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. But I got through the Bible, and, I mean, in that like that trip to New York City and then that nine months after I got back, my life was just turned upside down. Um, I'm not the same person. I lost my desire for a lot of the worldly things. Um, I mean, Doug and I, I was part-time staff at the church and Doug had an entry-level job. I mean, we literally, you know, just went from paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. But we were, but I was content. For the first time in my life, I was content. And then I realized the missing piece all these years has been a personal relationship with Jesus. And so my husband and I did youth ministry at that church for 13 and a half years. And after that trip to New York and that nine months, Doug took, stepped back and I took the lead in youth ministry. 
And so I was like, what? This was my calling. Yeah. I was fighting it. And um, so then the position ended up being full-time. And um, so I did youth ministry and children's ministry and, and even some adult ministry. So, so now when you got back into that, now you're working full-time, did you feel more equipped than you originally did? Yeah. I mean, you've done all this study. You've, you've yeah, I was just learning. But I was constantly. in the Bible a little bit. And yeah, just learning and learning and learning. And I felt like the youth were learning alongside me. So yeah. it's kind of a beautiful thing. Because I think if I had been a seasoned believer and came in to the youth ministry program there, it would not have been the same experience for the youth. But the fact that they saw me have a crisis of faith and then hopefully um, saw growth and passion and enthusiasm about that. Because I talked about personal relationship with Christ then all the time. Yeah. Because I was like, I for some reason, I never heard that. And so I made sure that they heard that. Yeah. Or I, at least I said it. And so, I mean, what was the tool you were using to show that to them? I mean, was it just kind of you living it out, or did you have any other little tricks that you used to to I, show them how, yeah. to, how to do that? I think it was personal relationship and meeting kids right where they were, yeah. um, listening, being a listening ear, not judging um, their behaviors, and um, but sharing the gospel message with them, the good news and the hope that we have within us, and modeling um, servanthood, servant leadership. Um, I think that meeting them where they're at is, is so critical too. You know, I think that in, when I was working in high school ministry, you know, that's one of the things I know originally there would be groups of kids, you know, you don't have, uh, you always want to believe that all the kids that show up at the youth group are going to be, you know, the good students and positive. They're not always, if you didn't know that, I'm sorry to break it to you. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, and so there would be kids who were struggling and I would sometimes offer like, send them to my group, I'll deal with them, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's one of the things that I, w- I thought I was able to do well is meet them where they're at because, you know, they just needed somebody to talk to a lot of the times, and, you know, yeah. and somebody who maybe would speak to them in a way that they would understand more. I know that, you know, there was a, a couple of times where people were a little gasped back by comments that I would make to a kid but you know what that kid needs to stop what he's doing right now and if I have to stay it in a stern way it needs to happen you know mm-hmm. what and and so eventually I kind of got that down to where I felt comfortable you know in in most of those situations but I, I always laugh because you know I'd meet those kids where they are and they would share what was going on in their lives mm-hmm. and then you know eventually you know sometimes I'd meet the parents or you know I know that there's a few times the parents would come in and the thing is I know about what happens in your house you know and they would come in and they would kind of hem and haw and this and I and I just laugh you know in, in yeah. my head because yeah. I'm like I, I know what happens on Tuesday nights in your house you know and and you don't, right. you don't have to pretend, you know, but they still sometimes would put on that show for me. And I just, I never got used to that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and it's, kids don't trust you until they've earned your trust, really. Um, like we had this kid that came to youth group because um, when Doug and I had first started, this kid was in ninth grade. And prior to us coming, they just had multiple volunteers and they changed all the time. And so he's kind of like, yeah, you guys aren't going to stay either. And so every time he came to youth group, he was very disruptive, and it was really annoying. And Doug and I were like, why does he come? I mean, clearly, he doesn't like us, and he's push, trying to push every button that we have. But he kept coming and coming, and then um, January of his sophomore year, he kind of got into some trouble, which I didn't know what it was at the time, but his parents grounded him. 
and the only place they would let him go is church. Really? And so he would come um, after school on his lunch break and hang out at the church, and we would just talk. Um, we had a ping pong table, so sometimes we play ping pong. He'd come up to our house at night, and we'd play cribbage, and he questioned all the things of faith, and he even asked my husband, Doug, so what if this is all just a joke? And Doug said, but what if it isn't? So that was January. In July, he was killed in a car accident. Yeah. And it was like God knew. I mean, he had stolen something from a convenience store um, and got caught shoplifting. And so, um, I mean, it's almost like that happened so that the only place he could go was the place where God was. And so he... All we talked about for six months were his questions of faith and talked about it, and hopefully we modeled something. And so I'm just thinking God was all in that. Yeah. I mean, it is no coincidence that all that happened and that he spent all that time in the church and with us. You know, it's, it's you know, I've had a handful of kids, and, and one of the things, I worked with a lot of kids with drug problems, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, a lot of them came to me. Um, and, you know, I would talk to them, and you'd have to meet them where they're at, you know. Yeah. And uh, a few of them, you know, you know the, the only thing that you can do is talk to your parents. You know, I mean, if you're stealing from them, you're doing this, you know, you've got to talk to your parents, and you've got to come clean, and you've got to get help, you know. And they would usually gripe about it, and I would keep working on them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in, in a couple cases, I know that it happened. And, man, those kids, I remember one of them, I seen him, and he just cussed me up and down how horrible his life was. But you know what? Now he's an adult. He's clean. He's got a job and a house, and he's wow. living a functioning life. And I wish I could. I knew where he was. I know his parents, but I don't know that much to reach out to him now. And just to find out, you know, are you still mad at me? <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? I, yeah. I hope he's not. But you know, right. are, are we still there? You know. And another, another one. You know, it's kind of the same deal. You know, she had problems with her her family and drug abuse and you know now she's moved on and she's got a great job and holding down two jobs now and and Hmm. doing fantastic and you know i i just love seeing those kids that you did pour all that energy into and see them flourish later in life because i mean i'm sure in all the years that you were doing high school you've seen the opposite too i mean there's nothing more that that bothered me than you know, spending three, four years with these kids and trying to show them God, trying to trying to show these things to them, and then they head off to college, yeah. and just yeah, I think they got all, it. All yeah. hell breaks loose. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, well, nobody's you know nobody's watching them, nobody's doing it. Well, they shouldn't have to be. You know what I mean? Right. Our goal was to put that into you so that when you were on your own, you'd make the right decisions. You know, yeah. and, and everybody makes wrong decisions. You right. Know what I mean, it's you. You just hope that they come back. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, seeds are planted. And so you have to believe that um, someday someone else will water and then God does the the growth. So, yeah. yeah. But I do think that discipleship um, is best played out side by side with someone, someone walking alongside you. And that's what happened with me. Basically, Pastor Bob was walking alongside me for that week. And then when I came back, um, you know, that disciple group walked alongside me and just met me where I was. And I feel like, that's what Jesus did. Yeah. He met people where they were and walked them to a, a new and different place. And I think that we can do that too, just one-on-one or in small groups. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I've, I, I haven't, 
I didn't grow up in the church. You know, I came to faith later in life. But when 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 I initially started showing up at churches and doing these things, I didn't see, and maybe it's because of where I was involved or what, but I didn't see the outreach to the members to have them in these small groups, to have them in different small studies, to different things. I mean, you... You've been around in it a little longer than I have. Mm-hmm. Is that something that has changed, a culture that has changed within the church? Or is it just kind of a, some churches are doing this really good and some churches aren't? Yeah, I, mean, I would say that Bible study has been around a long time. Yeah. And then I think small groups, the, the reason small groups started was because these mega churches started developing. And so people were flocking to these churches where they were hearing the Bible preached. What do you do with it? Right. And so then you had to get people into small groups so that they would have a community, but also get into the Bible together. Where, like, I think the mainline denominations, like that's what I grew up in, were smaller. And so, you know, you would get into your women's study or your men's study and you would um, learn that way. But it was small enough that you knew probably most of the people in the church. So I think small groups are a function of bigger churches so that people feel like they know people and have a community within the larger church. See, and that, that's some of the, you know, when I look back at some of the mentorship, that's some of the better places that I've ever gotten it, you know, was, you know, they did, uh, oh, I can't remember what the name of it is, but pretty much you get two other guys and you go and you do Hi, a study yeah. together. There you go. Yeah. You get two <laughs> other guys and you go and do a study together, you know, yeah. and then you pick up a few more guys or, you know, we did, uh, we had a, we had a church football team. Hmm. And uh, one of the things that we made happen was all the captains on the football team had to join a, a study together. And so we had to meet That's every cool. morning. Well, and this was seven, eight years ago. And I've been gone from it for, for quite some time. Well, I ended up running into a guy the other day. And he's like, oh, well, I, you know, I do the morning Bible study, you know, and at the same point, And I'm like, that still happens? You know, and so <laughs> it's funny because now, you know, they, they fill up uh, – a whole grocery store. Yeah, IV uh, yeah. and Chick-fil-A. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, when it started, it was just four, four or five of us sitting around doing a study. I know. I, you know, I just... It's personal invitation that's happening. It is. It's not just an advertisement from the front of the church. It's like, hey, would you join me in a yeah. Friday morning Bible study? Yeah. You yeah. know, and, the, and those places are the places that I've, I've personally experienced the most growth. Yeah. I mean... I feel like you dig deeper when you're in a smaller group. Yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So now, later on. So what's what's going on in New York? I mean, you know. So, yeah. Yes. So you got back. You did your thing. Did you keep returning every year? Yeah, we went every three years. Every three so that years. way, every high school kid would have an opportunity to go and experience New York City. So in 2006, so we started going there in 1995. In 2006, we invited Pastor Bob to come here to Ankeny. And so he stayed with us, and he preached at our church. Um, and so everybody kind of got to finally meet Pastor Bob because uh, we talked about him all the time at our church because we'd always take <laughs> youth out there, but the adults never had the privilege of getting to know him. So, um, yeah, and he was just different. I mean, if you, if we didn't, ha- if we hadn't talked Bob up, and if I hadn't fallen in love with that Bob that first year, um, he's just quirky, a quirky guy. Yeah. And so everybody's kind of like, mm, okay, so he's a really cool guy, I guess. Uh, and it was really funny because um, I fell in love with Bob, who he was, by watching him live it out. But then I found out years later that we were on opposite extremes politically and um, theologically. Really? So, but it didn't matter because 
we just had this mutual respect for one another. Because I'll never forget, and I hope it's okay to talk politics here just for a second, but when he came in 2006, um, Obama was running for you know the Democratic Party. Yeah. And so he was going to be in Des Moines, and Pastor Bob wanted to go see Obama. And I was like, I'm not taking you. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of our former youth was a Democrat, and so he goes, I'll take Bob. And I'm like, okay. So they, they went off. And so all, I mean, Bob would just question, like, how can you be Republican? I just don't get it. And I'm like, I don't get how you can be a Democrat. And yeah. we just had this loving conversation. But um, well, And I think yeah. that that's, you know, when you watch the news, <laughs> when you see any of those things, everybody wants to put us into one. You're right. red, you know. You can't, you, <laughs> you can't be compassionate towards the world. You're a republic, you know what I mean? Right. And so, I guess you know, there's just for people to understand that everybody comes from a different walk of life. I know. Yeah. You know, and and you know, there's all the people who walk around in the world with all the beliefs that they have you walk around the church it's just a little microcosm of everything that happens in the world i know yeah so what about theologically what do you mean theologically you guys were different yeah he's just more liberal like their church in new york um when he was the pastor there was open to homosexuals and being ordained and and so the presbyterian church was I mean for years were they like no women preaching no women in staff type stuff the Presbyterian church was years ago but like in the early 80s they split okay and so the denomination that I was in was okay with women being ordained and in leadership okay but they were moving towards um the whole homosexual issue which Bob was very liberal in that respect yeah um he agreed that um homosexuals should be welcome in the church which I agree with that too yeah Um, I don't think anybody you know would disagree with that right Um, but ordination then is something different. Um, yeah. So we would yeah. disagree on that. But we just didn't talk about it. I mean, I knew he well, knew. I, I get that. There's yeah. all those little little things that happen, you know, right. that the time. You know, right. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a Christian, you believe, you know, believe in Jesus. Hey, come on in. Right. You know, exactly. So. Yeah. And so um, he came here in 2006, and then he did um, get diagnosed with. Uh, colon cancer Um, and then he faded pretty quickly and so um, we still go out there but they are without a pastor and the church really struggles a lot of people are angry at Bob because he was a hundred percent outreach and he never did any upkeep of the building and so they have this beautiful old building that literally is falling apart on the inside and so that's been a good lesson for me too is that you have to have balance uh, because they, the elders of the church would say, hey, Bob, let's put some money into some new wiring. And he would say, but I know this person in need, and so let's give them the money. Um, and then I also learned just this past summer that, um, so in the sanctuary of the church in New York, there's a, they have a glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. And so you can get to the roof, and you can literally look down into the church from the roof. So some kids in the neighborhood were playing hide-and-go-seek, and they one of the kids ran into the church and went up to the roof and fell through the ceiling and they sued the church for negligence and so that is right before bob came on staff they lost everything financially because they lost the lawsuit uh, for this child because he's a quadriplegic now Um, so that's bob came into the situation knowing that the church had no money so he was kind of a tent maker Um, but then his mindset was always give out always give out never serve within and so the church has kind of been left with um, doing some repair. And so really 
the building is not fit for a tenant yet. And so we have been continuing to go out there trying to help them get it to the point where they can call a pastor and get back up to where they were. So there's no sermons going on? There is. I mean, they have elders that are trying to keep it going, and so they take turns preaching on Sunday, but there's a dozen people that come on Sunday. So they're literally hanging by a thread. Yeah, so it's very small. Yeah, and people have left the church since Bob died. and, um, And what's interesting, too, is that Bob started, um, well, he took boys off the street and he built a a gym in the basement of the church and he started basketball leagues. So these kids that were crazy, running wild, doing drugs, he brought them in and got them into some formal sports. And so a lot of the guys that are elders today that are in their 40s came came through Bob's programs of basketball, got them off the street and taught them about God. So they're fairly invested in the... They're very invested, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, our goal is to help them get the church to a point where they can call a pastor and because until they have a pastor, the, I don't see the church growing. Yeah. They're just not capable of making that happen. So, so. now, um, how often are you going there now? We go every summer. Every summer. And we, we take two different groups every year. So we take one group, they start projects, and then the second group comes in and finishes them. Because okay. what we were finding is we would go one week, and we literally couldn't get it all done. And so we decided, let's try two weeks. And so that's what we've been doing. Nice. And so are there very good groups that partner with them? No, we're the only ones really? that do. Yeah, so we've a big uphill climb for you guys. Yeah. So we've been we've invested in this church for 22 years. Huh. Now, if so, somebody's in Manhattan, they want to go by and check this thing out. Yeah. What is, what is the church? Find it. Yeah, it's Trinity Presbyterian Church, and the address is 422 West 57th Street. Wow, just off the top of your head. Yeah, it's like my second home. Whenever I go there, I feel like this is my this is where I found Christ. Wow. So it will always have a special place yeah. in my heart. No, oh, that's amazing, so, though. Yeah. So now, um, so you growing in this personal relationship, going through the struggles, realizing that you need to live this, you know, live into this mm-hmm. lifestyle and not just Sunday morning kind of kind of thing. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of people who who do follow that line of thinking. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them? How, how would you tell somebody, hey, this is something that you have to do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This isn't a couple hours a week kind of right. life. Well, I would say that if you are a person who was like me um, in my all through my 20s feeling very discontent, like there's this hole, there's this void that you're trying to fill with things of the world, um, then maybe you do need to check your relationship with God and with Jesus. Is it legit? Is it? Because once I found Jesus, it was like overflow. Um, so I would say the important things are to find a community of faith. Find If, you're, if you have questions about your faith, um, find someone who's a believer who is beyond where you are in your walk and just ask them, to walk alongside you. If you need accountability, ask them to hold you accountable to certain behavior changes or whatever that is. Um, but always, I think everything, as I even as I think about marriage, I mean, marriage is really hard. And so I think, why did God design marriage? Um, and I really think it's because he wants us to learn selflessness. And so if we're living a life that is all about us and just attaining things of the world, we're never going to be happy. I think when Jesus came, he modeled 
being a servant leader. And so he was always pouring out and pouring into others. And so I think that as followers of Christ, that's what we're called to do. It doesn't matter if you have a ton of money or no money, you can invest in someone else's life. And so I guess my encouragement would be, um, if you're struggling in your faith, find someone to walk alongside you and then always think outside of yourself and look at the needs of others. And I think that's in Philippians too, that you always put others' needs above your own. And when you live that out every day and you're always looking for God to show up and you're looking for God to bring people into your path, then your life becomes this exciting day-to-day thing. But if you're just complacent and doing your thing and going to work and hating it um, and not expecting God to show up, then you are going to miss the things that he's putting right before you every day. You have to expect, like holy expectancy. You know, and that's, for me, it's kind of that live in the yeah. thing. Because, yes. it, you know, as silly as it sounds, you know, there's times where something will happen at work. I'll go out and, you know, I'll, oh, I don't know where this tool is. And it's sitting right on top of my toolbox. You know, or yeah. I, I just cut a random board to bring it in and it fits perfect. And I'm like, how did that happen? happen. Thank you, God. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it yes. my I mean, everything has something to do with God, but I'm sure God's will isn't that I find my wrench faster than, you know, right. something else. But, you know, that's it's nice. It's a blessing for me, and, and it's and it helps me to stay positive about the situation. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. He's right. present in everything. He cares about every detail of our life. Um, and so why would he not be present with you in everything? And you just have to look for it, and you see him, and then you're in awe. I mean, yeah. every day we can be in awe of what God is doing and how he's showing up if we're looking for it. Yeah, exactly. I mm-hmm. think that uh, I think that that's a pretty good place to wrap this thing yeah. up. Yeah, so, sounds well, good. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Thank you guys for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please remember to uh, pass it along to a friend this week. Maybe they'll enjoy it as much as you did. Remember that you can always continue the conversation with us at the God Watch podcast on Facebook or at GodWatchLive.com. Thank you. Have a great week and be blessed.